Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Lee, and we are here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences of what it means to be a curious and empowered human. We will talk about how to anchor into your relationship to intimacy, emotional alchemy, embodiment medicine, and conscious relationships. On this podcast, my guests and I will be sharing wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity podcast. Today I have a special guest, SJ, with me. I always start with an intro with each of my guests. SJ, you came into my life when I was feeling really, really ungrounded. I had just moved from California up into Vancouver. I had been searching for my yoga studio and just found box yoga after yoga studio. And I just remember walking into the Dharma temple and just the feeling of community was infused into that space. And even as strangers meeting, you made direct eye contact. You were really wanting to know what I was about and who I was and how long I had been in van. And even in this very, very large community of yogis, you always made sure to make each and every single one of us feel welcome. And so I feel like that was one of the first little steps that allowed me to actually root myself into Vancouver. Yoga is such a huge part of my life and I was really craving that space. In the time that we've known each other, I think the the thing that kept coming back up for me as I thought about recording this podcast episode with you is this word intention. You are so intentional about how you set up space. You are so intentional about how you hold space, about who you invite into your space. You're not a woman of very many words, but each word that you share is so intentional. And so I thought it'd be such a great conversation to have with you as we are coming up on, at the time that we're recording this, it's literally a year from when the pandemic started. So doing a reflection on intentions, specifically, I think how our words that we speak are so intentional and how what we share and how we communicate is going to actually shape our future and using this last year as an intentional launching off point. You're the only person I want to have this conversation with. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Mm. excited to to dive into this Mm -hmm. um, discussion today. So yeah, thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, yeah. So You were just sharing, before we started recording, you were just sharing some really beautiful reflections about um, how uh, we're coming up on the end of a cycle. And um, I I almost wanted to just be like, no, 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 like, stop. Like, I want to save it for the podcast. So I'd love for you to just flush that out a little bit for us and what this year has meant for you, you know, what it, you know, means for the collective and, and all of that. Well, I mean, that's such a big question, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is, as you mentioned, you know, the marker of the year point that we, um, well, my daughter was on spring break. I have a, a eight-year-old, then seven. Um, so she was on spring break and I just remember, you know, there was, we have the yoga center. So there was definitely like a heightened sanitation and less bodies in the room. And so that was kind of like the building up point. And then I remember, like I telling my daughter before there was the actual announcement, like I was like, I don't think you're going back to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, there was just kind of, it was like a big thing. Um, and then when the announcement came out that everything was shutting down, you know, um, yeah, yoga centers, fitness centers, gathering spaces, like that was kind of like yeah. a no brainer. Like those are the first things to go, you know, yeah. People could go and, you know, be in an office that they are separated from one another, then maybe that'd be something different. But yoga and fitness and, uh, yeah, gathering spaces um, were, you kind of knew that that was going to, it was going to be a while before people were going to be able and feel comfortable um, to come, to come back into space. And, you know, I just think the virus, it really, like, it brought up right away, like, the deep-seated fear around death. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as yoga practitioners, like Shavasana, like 
you know, we've been, these practices have encouraged us to practice dying every day. Yeah. And like you were mentioning about when you moved up from LA, you know, jumping into a few different spaces and, you know, you called it box yoga or, you know, and, and maybe that's the case, but I definitely noticed um, when I was practicing, you know, in different spaces, like there was kind of like this grazing over of Shavasana, if it was even there, you know, five minutes at the end, if we're lucky. Um, I think that's shifting a little bit. I think that they're the, like the trend is moving more towards like nervous system regulation. So I think the yeah. importance of like a deeper rest is definitely happening, but yeah, Shavasana basically means corpse, you know, corpse pose, like practice dying and, yeah. you know, but really like taking that, um, taking that really into a, a contemplation, like mm -hmm. what will it mean, you know, when I die, when I go. And so I think maybe as yogis, um, or practitioners, meditation practitioners, people that have had a contemplative practice um, around our inevitable, <laughs> you know, passing, um, maybe there was a little less, for me, a little less fear. And also it's, yeah, um, but I definitely felt that in the collective, like there was yeah. a big, a big surge and yeah. um, certainly in my, my, my extended family. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and you know, in our home, we were just like, we gotta just keep ourselves healthy, ride this thing out. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of obvious right out of the gate that we weren't going to be opening up the Dharma temple in the same capacity, if at all. <laughs> but honestly, like when the pandemic hit, I was burnt out already. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, I really took that as a call to focus on my daughter parenting, home, home learning, like that was my first try at that, which is something that I had always wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of an invitation into slowing down, um, which we, you know, we, we have a business, as you know, you know, it's kind of are at, it's a relationship that yeah. you are constantly in communication with. So, yeah, yeah. you know, Absolutely. I didn't really have, um, you know, a set schedule or working hours. It was kind of like, oh, someone emailed, there's a problem, like I'd be on it. So you know, when we talk about the balance of rest and regulation, like that was something that I wasn't really living by. So mm -hmm. when that happened, yeah, I just, I, I, I hope like many others took that pause and yeah, I just feel like this pause has <laughs> been a year it's, now. So. Yeah, it's been necessary. Yeah. And yeah. So. I, I want to circle back to this idea of Shavasana and, you know, as as yogis or, or meditation practitioners, we have a daily process of, of dying, you know, and it's something that I've noticed in our modern day world. We do not have a relationship with death. We do not understand how to lean into death. And, you know, the, the most obvious examples that I can think of are, you know, our meat, if we eat meat comes wrapped in plastic, you don't have a sense of the animal that it came from. You know, I've been doing quite a bit of traveling this week and I'm looking at these transport trucks. And I remember as kids, like you can see that there are animals on there and now they're completely blacked out. Like we do not have any sort of connection to even the natural cycles of, of death and dying and it's something that I think, you know, my Taoist background has given me. Um, but I think that we we all get sort of stunted. We sort of get stuck in the like, like I don't want to die, and so like we we resist. We resist getting old. We don't value our elders. We don't value wisdom. We don't allow ourselves to like have our bodies change. Um, you know, we constantly try to cover it up with makeup or, or try to fix it with plastic surgery. And, and there's this resistance. And I think that that got cracked wide open with the pandemic because we were all basically asked to take like a year long Shavasana, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, certainly yeah, the, the culture, the Western cultures specifically um, is extremely death phobic, you know, and mm -hmm. it is like something that we keep, you know, in hospice or there, you know, and, and also we try to prolong it with, with those kind of, um, you know, keeping people that are certainly inevitably going to pass, you know, keeping them alive. 
you know, on machines or, you know, mm-hmm. or this duration. So it's actually, it's for us. It's not for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's for the people that haven't come to terms. Right. And we, so pro- prolonging the inevitable rather than just embracing like, you know, this process that is part of life and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and inviting in, like you were saying, like this, this, um, reverence for this natural part of mm-hmm. our, of our lives. And, um, yeah, I think, I hope that this time has kind of highlighted that t- to us, like how precious and how fast moving our lives are. And so mm-hmm. just to really begin to focus more on intentionality, you know, how mm-hmm. can I live with more presence? What is, um, what is the kind of world that I want to live in? You know, I think with the pandemic and the Dharma temple and the lineage I was practicing, and there's been a lot that I've had to um, set down. And with the grace of this spaciousness, um, it's not without, <laughs> it doesn't come without like pressure or fear as well. Like I will. Of course, of course. Um, but it has been an invitation and to really like check in with self and, and be like, okay, you know, if I'm intentionally creating here, what is it that I want to pick up? Like mm. let all these things go. What is it that I want to pick back up um, to, you know, create with and for and for what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I think another piece of the pandemic that's really struck me too is like, you know, it's, it is, it's a, we're, a, we're a connected, you know, like we are one, you know, global family. And mm-hmm. I think these, there's been systems and, you know, put into place that's created this div- division and prioritized me, 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 mine, mine, you know, what yeah. over are we, mm-hmm. and what is like for the collective good of all. And I hope now that that is more apparent and mm-hmm. that there can be a little bit more intentionality with the way that we're co-creating um, this reality together. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we both work with elements just from different lineages. And to me, like that entire little section that you just shared with us feels so like a metal element. I don't know what it would feel like for you, but that idea of like clarity and condensing and aligning and, you know, shedding what doesn't serve anymore. um, Really like having um, just like a, like almost like a reorganization. Um, it feels very metally to me. And I think there's there's so much that has come from the pandemic. I know that there have been a lot of people who have struggled through it, um, a lot of people who have done well through it. Like everyone's got a spectrum of, of experiences. But I think for me, the thing that's come to be really clear is this relationship that we have to the collective that you just spoke of. And there's been a clarifying of what's okay and what's not okay anymore. The Black Lives Matters movement, I feel like, has been so clarifying about like, like not just race relations, but how we look at ourselves as a collective, how we arrange ourselves as hierarchies. And um I personally feel like there's been a lot of intentionality being put into what kind of society we as, you know, as humans want to step forward into. And, and, and we're seeing some, some steps towards that progress, but it comes from this place of clarity, intention, um, and then the action has to come after. I am curious about how, you know, I would consider you to be a community leader. And so how you've been noticing this shift in the collective and, and what you see opening up as like a future and, and also as a mama, you know, like you've got a little one. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I think what is coming, what has really been apparent and what is um, coming into our awareness more is an accountability. Mm. And, you know, as we become more conscious, as we become more aware um, of how we are relating with the world around us, how we relate to other people, um, you know, and that it's not just about me and per- perpetuating meanness, um, 
I think that accountability piece becomes really important because then we start to take a little bit more of a, a critical lens to some of the subconscious um, patterns in our speech that perpetuate these systems of harms and division. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, you know, that's where I sit as a mama too, right? It's like, what was the, what was the reality that I grew up in? What were the social norms that were kind of perpetuated through media and through language Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, how my positioning now as a mom is really to like eradicate a lot of (laughs) um, those lies, you know, that we were, we were fed as youth and um, to take the accountability piece of really witnessing where there is the unconscious biases that come through in my language or, um, and it is like a lot of subconscious, like we're operating 95% on our subconscious mind. And so just Absolutely. to get that little 5% more conscious, um, I think it comes from slowing down mm-hmm. and becoming really, you know, uh, critical about how we can, you know, reframe our language to promote, you know, more inclusivity and, and also how our language can um, have those negative implications if we aren't if we aren't mindful, because um, I think that that's how these systems have kind of stayed in in this hierarchy system for for so long. Is like it's perpetuated through through our language. Our language, as is a colonizer language, so it really creates that um, divisiveness and hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, power and status. I know that for me personally, coming from a family of immigrants, you know. I've had to sort of adjust my my thinking and and how I you know talk about how I fit into the collective and how I fit into this structure of society and um, you know my parents had always sort of talked about um, like their story as being like they came to this country with nothing and they were able to bootstrap their way into being able to provide a life for us. And the Black Lives Matters movement has helped me realize how harmful that narrative actually is mm-hmm. because it's made me sort of re-examine, you know, where my privilege sits, even as someone of color and how you know, we, we negate the struggles of, of other people by overlaying the struggles that we ourselves moved through mm-hmm. and how um, actually working with the collective and trying to restructure our world into something that is going to be better for everybody in the future um, requires us to break down these narratives around, you know, like, why couldn't you do it better? My parents did it this way. Um, and so I think that there's a level of, hmm, I guess, sort of just to like tie it back to the death and the letting go piece is, you know, I think we've all collectively had to really examine a lot of these stories around race and beliefs and um, and try to look at them from a more realistic lens. And um, I think that that's been one of the, the most clarifying pieces for me um, in terms of what this pandemic has really brought to light is, is this capacity to, to shift and change, but that shift and changing has to come from a place of alignment and in a place of integrity and accountability, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just really in that examination, just, you know, finding our, our own inner compass, you know, I think, you know, our parents did the best they could, you know, but certainly these narratives have seeped into our subconscious. And then of course we we see it around us or we don't. Um, so I think like when we, you know, we have the blinders pulled back and we, you know, awaken to the reality in which we're living and that there is this you know, immense disparity among, um, you know, race, gender, 
re, you know, resource distribution and yeah, where we kind of where we sit within that and, you know, the accountability of our own energy and how we are contributing to the, to the, uh, those systems staying in place, contributing to the hierarchy, you know, choosing who's at the top, you know, we're, we're down here fighting for the same piece of the pie. Like it's about really, you know, I think languaging in a new reality that is upholding equality, diversity, you know, social justice, where everyone has access to, um, you know, the resources and the programs and the education. And, and so I think, yeah, like taking it, you know, from the individual into the collective starts with, you know, our own compass of discerning, like what is true for me, what is right, you know, in any given situation, how can I speak to this where it's expansive, inclusive, um, and really just, um, yeah, just start to change that narrative. Like, you know, it's the narrative, it's a story, yeah. right? When we, when we hierarchy kind of is built on us of someone being the victim mm -hmm. and, uh, and really understanding, you know, I think that there's like these kind of buzzwords coming up around like sovereignty and autonomy and, um, and we're recognizing that, like, we don't, we have a right to choose, you know, we have yeah. a right to choose, you know, what systems we continue to uphold, um, where we, where we invest our energy and include, including time and money, um, and how we are contributing to, you know, a more sustainable, inclusive planet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on this a little bit, and I think that, um, it goes just like perfectly in line with with examining stories is really examining the language. You know, I've, I've really been sitting with this and, and, you know, I think that so many terms, especially like in social media land, like so many terms sort of get thrown out without actually understanding the depths of the words that are being spoken. And what I'm loving <clears throat> is I think we're trying to sort of create new languaging, you know, mm. even down to, you know, talking about gender and talking about race and talking about what's okay and what's not okay. And I, I, I really think of the intentionality behind our words, the words that we choose to speak as being almost like spell work for the future that we want to create for ourselves. And you know, I think a lot of times we just sort of, we don't recognize the impact of, of these words and how they trickle down into the individual experiences. We just think of them as just being like, oh, this is just what we say, or we're kind of flippant and, um, and not really intentional about how we speak. Um, so I think that that's one of the pieces that I love about you and the work that you do is you are so intentional about what you share and about what you speak. And um, you can tell that it's not just like, oh, I got inspired by this Instagram post. I'm just going to put my take on it. It's like you've taken it and digested it and condensed it and crystallized it into something that is truthful for you. And I really wish that um, if there's anything that I I hope our, our listeners get out of this conversation, it's that they have complete sovereignty to be able to do that as well. You know? Absolutely. And I think, you know, just embracing the curiosity of why, you know, why, why use that word? Why are we drawn to using that word when we read someone else's post, which is, you know, of their, hopefully of their, you know, own creative genius. Um, it can inspire, right? That's what I was saying about language that's expansive and, you know, naturally, I think we're drawn to that. But like, before throwing out a word, or, you know, to or like writing a post based off someone else's like, doing that inquiry, and maybe, you know, looking into the etymology of words, the words that we're choosing, pulling out, I love the thesaurus, I use, um, I use this site, I guess it's called word hippo. I don't know, I just love it. I, I really love words. So, um, and I, I do feel like writing is my medium. I, I prefer to have that time, like you're saying to digest and then like get it out. Like often it's, it's more of a challenge for me to, to piece together thoughts as quickly as I want to share them. But writing is a medium where I feel like I'm able to really, um, 
yeah, just offer from that place of uh, intentionality a little bit with a little bit more clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Like I, I really appreciate you seeing me as that. And I were, you know, I do look to communication and I'm looking for um, communication that, that resonates, right. That mm-hmm. makes me feel empowered. Right. I think because a lot of this, we talk about language structure around hierarchy is like, there's a lot of disempowered language and a lot of that language we keep perpetuating unconsciously. Yeah. Right. Even in the way that we email people or, you know, um, yeah, speak to each other. You know, if we're, you know, interacting in a, in a workspace, I think there's lots of ways that we can start to divest from hierarchy and start to invest more in a hierarchy where there's, you know, this equal playing field. We all have roles, we all have gifts, and but we're all here, you know, kind of co-creating this reality together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I I felt that so tangibly um, in when I was an acupuncturist. I, I I did fertility acupuncture, and the words that we would use around procedures, around how women are treated, around you know, there's just, there's so many examples. And I remember sitting with um, a client of mine and she was like, if I hear the words failed IVF one more time, I'm going to scream. Yeah. You know, and we, we front load so many, so many of these really painful experiences with painful languaging, not really understanding the impact that it has on the person actually hearing that, you know? Mm-hmm. So imagine what that feels like for someone to hear that their IVF cycle has failed. Right. You know, and they have no control over the outcome. And, you know, there's there's so much pain wrapped up in the language, but I, I find particularly in like how we speak to women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like even just if an IVF cycle goes from an IVF to an IUI, they say that it's downgraded, you know. Um, and I know that there's so many other examples in terms of like even just how we approach birth. And I I love that there's a shifting of, of the language. I think it starts from first, which then is hopefully going to shift the narrative. And And I would love to see us all sort of collectively work towards using language that's actually more accurate and true. You know, it's actually not accurate to say that somebody has a failed IVF. It's not accurate to say that something got downgraded from one to another. Um, It's just, you know, if we can just use language that, that speaks to what actually happened, you know? Yeah. I, there, I mean, I can't go into too much around the the medical, you know, the medical organizations and but that definitely been on the receiving end of some, you know, cho- chosen words to explain my situation and the impact that that has, you know, on our bodies, right? Like words are energy, um, our thoughts are energy, our beliefs, and we hold these things in our body. So there is like a somatic um, experience of being on the receiving end of something that is negative or tells you how it is, like tells you about your body or how it is. Um, you know, like the, the failed IVF piece is like when we go back to our early childhood, when our, you know, subconscious mind is forming essentially, you know, all these early childhood wounding patterns, you know, it's like, I'm not good enough or feeling like a failure or I'm not lovable, you know, like, so the moment you are, on the receiving end of that kind of language, it just it automatically, you know, ignites that part of the brain, the reptilian brain of fight or flight and puts, it closes you down. So it's like, it even, you know, when we communicating, it's creating a future impact that, you know, maybe the potentiality of this woman being pregnant is shut down in that moment from that languaging. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think- And the stories like, that she's telling herself based on you know, quote unquote, some expert who's telling her um, that this has been a failure. I want to highlight something that you just said, because it's something that I witnessed over and over and over again when I was a fertility acupuncturist. And 
this impact that we have using the words that we use and how it can impact our bodies. And so you had mentioned, you know, using the word failed can trigger a fight or flight response. It goes into the limbic part of your brain and it turns on that lizard brain and it, it pushes you into that sympathetic response. What that actually does in your physiology is that it, you know, pushes blood to your brain because you might need to think through and problem solve something that's threatening to you. Um, it pushes all of your blood out to your arms and your legs because you might have to actually fight or flee something. Um, and then what it also does is it shuts down the digestive system and it stops sending blood circulation to the reproductive system. And, you know, I think that when we talk about fertility and the outcomes of fertility, you know, I've heard so many hacks for lack of a better word, you know, you have to take fish oil and you have to take this and do laser acupuncture and, you know, all the things, but I don't think that we have a clear understanding of why we need to reduce stress in our lives. And one of the biggest stressors that I see in the fertility world is the words that we use, right? And so like you just said, you know, hearing the word failed when it comes to the IVF cycle instead of really just sort of black and white, just laying out what happened. You know, I had three eggs retrieved, two of them made it to, you know, day five, you know, whatever the scenario is to, to actually just um, use the word failed goes into that subconscious part of your brain, the little kid in you who has also felt that feeling of failure and has also felt the impact of that stress. And then as a down trickle effect, your physiology shuts down blood circulation to your reproductive system. And if there's anything that your reproductive system is needing when it's trying to be fertile is it needs fresh blood supply being um, circulated to the womb space. It needs fresh blood, fresh oxygenated blood to be able to nourish your egg cells. And so, yeah, I do, you know, I, I, so I don't think that it is a small thing to change the languaging, the vocabulary, the narratives that you are telling yourself because it impacts you on the inner child level, it impacts you on the uh, nervous system level, and so that trickles down into the cellular level, and um, I don't think that really anyone's really talking about the, the, the actual tangible physical effects that our words have on our bodies. Yeah, it's really it's really harsh, and I I mean I I do you know hope that um, just the awareness is trickling down and can start to really seep into those um, those bigger structures like the medical, the educational, and mm -hmm. I think it is it, it is happening. Like um, I just think it's it's slow. Yeah, and it's going to be slow. Yeah, you know because there's so much like on an individual basis that needs to shift. Um, for it to actually ripple out into the collective. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I, I personally haven't chosen to have children, but I love that there are so many conscious parents out there because the language that we use in our homes is going to impact, you know, these little ones as they grow up. And, you know, I, I, the the messages that you know our generation was told of toughen up and you know like that's that's not an okay feeling to have and you know I I get excited about what this next generation is going to actually be able to manifest just based on the kind of language that was shared with them in their homes and so I'm curious about as a mama um, because you know, I, I know from having multiple conversations, our children end up becoming projections of ourselves. Like, what is that process like for you to, to make sure that you are checking um, and acknowledging your own story and your own projections? 
Well, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the subconscious and, and, you know, I think the way that we communicate largely out of that place, it's largely unconscious until you have a mirror <laughs> reciting back to you how you're communicating. Yeah. And I, I think one of the most obvious ways that that um, was reflected to me um, that I was not conscious of is my intention to keep my daughter safe um, from, you know, bumping her head or falling downstairs or, you know, whatever the thing and using like using negatives, like don't do that. Can't do that. You know, like mm. we shouldn't touch that. You shouldn't do like those things are like Velcro, you know, like they stick in your mind. And, you know, when I, you know, experience my daughter, you know, saying I can't do that or I, I shouldn't do that or we shouldn't, it's like an automatic, you know, there's a blocking of the energy yeah into instead of you know like if for instance if she does get you know stuck on something well i can't i can't do that you know i mm. it's like no you're or you know you're learning how or you give it a try you know rather than just like blatantly can't it's just like affirming those patterns of you know not that keep us stuck basically yeah um yeah. so that one you know really try to watch my language around um, those blocking words like can't, won't, don't, mm. you know, even intense words. Like, I mean, we don't really use it in our house, but like when I spoke about like the somatic resonance of words, like words like hate, hate, you know, and just teaching her kind of to have that felt sense about what language feels good or like how her friends are communicating or, you know, this is, we live in a pretty musical home. So it's always been, uh, you know, pretty, we've had an intentionality around the music that's being listened to in this house and mm -hmm. just making sure that, you know, it has, it carries a vibration that is uplifting, that's positive, that's inclusive, that is mm -hmm. you know, not perpetuating more of that yeah. harm yeah. that I think can really come through pop music, mainstream music. Like I know what my daughter wants to listen to. Um, and, you know, some of it's great and some of it is kind of trashy. Yeah. So just trying to, you know, teach her rather than being like, don't listen to that, you know, yeah. and try to teach her like, or ask even is, is like, why do you like this? What do you like about it? Yeah. What are they singing about? You know, and just yeah. inquiring with curiosity to kind of get, you know, because a lot of time I think with pop music too, it's, there's a formula. It just sounds the way that it sounds. Like I, my daughter will play songs for me and I'll be like, Da, 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 da. like I'll know that the way it's going to go yeah, yeah, <laughs> without yeah. the words, but you just know how it sounds. So I think a lot of times, you know, she's listening to music based on how it sounds. And I'm like, okay, well, I can turn you on to some other, you know, pop music that might not have this harmful messaging. Yeah. yeah. It maybe sounds the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the, the tangible example that you gave us um, because I think that, you know, as a parent, when you're when you were saying can't and won't and shouldn't, it's not like you were doing that to diminish her capacity to, you know, feel empowered in her own choices. It's really you were just trying to keep her safe, you know. And I think we don't realize the impact of these words until, like you were saying, they get mirrored back to us. And what a wonderful opportunity for you to then examine, okay, so how else am I limiting her? How else am I limiting myself? And then approaching that with curiosity and approaching that with, you know, an intention to, to change that for yourself and for your daughter, I think is so powerful. And, you know, I, I wish that more parents would, I mean, I think, all parents should have some form of like subconscious understanding of what happens um, in their young children between the ages of zero and seven, because that's really when our brain waves are, are, are wiring how our belief systems are going to be as we grow up. Right. And I, yeah, I just think it's really beautiful when you can, can, can look at some of these actions and, and choose something different. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, 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 my intention, you know, is to raise an empowered daughter, um, and, you know, impact and have an empowered generation, you know, yeah. and, um, and I think about, 
you know, growing up, not really having much, uh, you know, of any role models that were empowered women um, or even teaching me about my own, you know, sovereignty and my ability, how my choices shape my reality. Like that's like a big part of, you know, teaching my daughter about her own autonomy is like, Mm -hmm. you have a choice. You have a choice to say you don't like something, you have a choice, you know, and what, you know, what you're choosing is the reflection of, you know, your internal state, but you're not choosing things because you're told to, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your friend likes that song, you get to choose, you know. Um, so really, that's been a really important piece uh, for me in, in parenting is em- empowerment and knowing that that comes from within. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. when we, t- when we talk about etymology of words, like, if you look up empowerment, um, on Google or on the internet, rather, you know, the, the definition of Google is different if you go then for, uh, for words down or for dictionaries down, the, the Google definition is it, it kind of, it defines empowerment as an external force, um, giving you the authority to make a choice or take action. Okay. And then the, the fourth down Cambridge is, 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 speaking to like, it comes from within, we get to, you know, we have the authority to make choices for ourselves. So I found that really interesting. interesting. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And there's like, there's, it's really interesting. Like this whole kind of languaging paradigm was um, largely introduced to me by this woman named Danny Katz. She speaks the truth and she, her truth and, you know, is really an advocate for it's quantum languaging of yeah speaking into and living into a new reality a new paradigm the paradigm in which we want to um experience on this planet that we haven't yet right because Mm -hmm. it has been based in those kind of patriarchal systems of separation and oppression yeah and that hierarchy so yeah i really uh resonate with her work and that's what's given opened me up a lot to um resourcing you know oh why do i use this word what does it mean where does it come from break it down like you know get to get to have that felt sense. Like how does imp- saying empowered feel in my body? Yeah. Right? Um, so yeah, just kind of teaching those little things to, to our daughter as well, just so that she has that own felt sense of why she's choosing the things that she's choosing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how the, and the impact of those choices. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I, I, it's so fascinating to me that there's such different definitions of what empowerment means because, you know, when I think about empowerment work, it's really about going within and looking at your true self and and very specifically, um, we've been so cut off from our somatic experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what a yes feels like in our bodies. We don't know what a no feels like in our bodies. And so therefore we can't put a voice to it oftentimes. And, and so the framework that you're giving your daughter by empowering her to check in with herself mm-hmm. is, is really like just teaching her how to feel her body. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what feels like a yes, what feels like a no and, and why with curiosity, not with judgment, you know? And I think there's, I, I work with a lot of clients and they always tell me, you know, I wish I had learned this when I was little. I wish I had learned how to feel my body when I was little um, because I knew in my gut that this partner was not the right partner for me. I knew in my gut that this wasn't the right job for me. And they, we have a tendency to sort of override those sensations coming from our bodies because we think that the intelligence of our brains is so much better than the wisdom of our bodies. And, and a lot of empowerment work I I think is, is really about going back to that, that wisdom of our bodies going back to that true self and really communicating from that space of clarity and sovereignty and autonomy. Yeah. And it's, and at this point um, it is on parents to be, because the, the hierarchy still exists, you know, in schools, it's like, I, I'm the teacher. I know better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, we're, we're sharing this information. Like my daughter's in public school. We're having a good experience. We, you know, like I do really think it's, um, the education 
systems as I mean, grade by grade here we're going, you know, with the with the teachers, we've had pretty um, good luck in, and it's kind of an experiment even having her daughter in school just to see, you know, like what is the information that she's getting and also just teaching her that they don't, you know, that school doesn't have an authority over you. You know, if something doesn't feel right or you, you know, know otherwise, you're allowed to challenge your teacher or your principal or classmates or whatever with you know, what you feel, or even it's just like asking questions to op to keep, keep us open, right? It's rather than it being like this line in the sand and it is this way, like, look at the, look at the harmful education that, you know, we went through and just like completely erasing the history of this, the true history of this country and yeah. peoples. So yeah, I do feel like, you know, that, that, that is opening up education wise where they are kind of, well, it can't keep it hidden anymore, really, like with, with the way that's, you know, the internet is, is like, okay, it's time to start telling the the truth and take some responsibility. But there is still things that are being presented, perpetuated that, you know, are kind of keeping, yeah, that kind of power dynamic or would, you know, it's subtle, it's super subtle. That's why I think it's so um, important to slow down and examine. That's where like the pandemic was a sweet time to do this. But if it, you know, if that work wasn't presented to you at this time, you know, as listeners, yeah, just taking, taking the time now to really examine, um, the words that you're, you're speaking, how you're spelling. I liked how you, you talked about that. The words are spells. Like I definitely, um, feel that, you know, that we cast them out there and what do we get back? It's like, yeah. keep saying the same things is going to be more of the same stuff. It's like, yeah. you know, and even mentally, right? Like those, those loops, the subconscious of our zero to seven, when, you know, you, you're something happened and you didn't feel good enough. Like that's been my most prominent loop and breaking the pattern of that has yeah, been, yeah, yeah. you know, it just shows up everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. The, 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 thing, the thoughts we think, the words we vibrate really do matter. And so, yeah, taking, taking the time to slow down and get really intentional and, and then choose because you are sovereign and we have, um, we have to implement more um, empowered communication if we want to see the kind of world that I believe that, you know, you and I, we all want to experience and we want for future generations. The energetics of the words that we choose it's not just felt on the mind level it's felt like we've been talking a lot about the body too it's felt on the somatic level it's felt on the cellular level it releases different neurochemicals it releases different hormones and and so you know i think that it's easy to be flippant about some of the languaging that we use and say, it's not that big of a deal. And, you know, I didn't mean it that way, but, um, but on a felt physiological experience, it does land and it does leave a mark and it does leave an experience. And, um, and I think the intentionality of, of the words that we choose is is so so important particularly you know i didn't intend for this to be like a parenting episode but um i i i love when parents are examining how they were raised the language that was used in in their house how that landed for them and how they would like to create a different reality for their children and I think that this is how we, we make these like massive shifts. Like, I, I don't want to like downplay how massive these shifts are to, to take a look at these patterns. So. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, yes, they're massive shifts. And actually when you really break it down, they're also super simple and subtle. The implication of our, of our words that we're choosing, even when we're communicating through text or whatever, you know, um, rather than being super clear, I feel like a lot of times we have like a wishy-washiness, like maybes and possiblys and perhaps rather than just being like, um, no, I, you know, I've got other things going on. I just think we can learn so much about, um, yeah, our, our, our empowerment and boundaries and just, and, and I think ultimately, you know, when we're clear and we're concise and we speak truth, 
then, you know, others will, you know, either deal with their own stuff, um, why they feel so blocked and put off by saying like, no, I can't go to lunch, you know, on, on Thursday, I'm, I'm hiking already or whatever, you know, it's like, that's the fact. Yeah, It's not yeah. meant to hurt your feelings, but just to kind of then look at like, why is that? Oh, why is that she can't come, come with me? Why is it so painful for, for me to hear a no? Um, yeah, just, I think like there's th these little simple things rather mm -hmm. than saying like, well, maybe I can go. It's like, no, I blatantly, like, I can't go. I've made other plans and just yeah. being open about that. Just yeah. be real. So I think there are like really simple kind of hacks that you can start to look at. Like how often are you saying try? How often are you saying can't? How often are you saying I will? Like mm -hmm. it's well-intended when you say I will, yeah, I will get, I will get to, uh, I will get to my goal or whatever the yeah. thing is. Um, but I think a more empowered way to state that is like living into it is like, I am, you know, vibrating this goal, like yeah. whether it's, yeah, I will, um, I will yeah. own a business again, you the, know, like whatever the thing is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the big thing for me lately has been examining my apologies. Mm -hmm. Of noticing when I'm apologizing and if I actually need to apologize, even. Yeah. Because I think that for so many of us, we don't want to upset the other person. And so we put an apology there to sort of soften the blow if we can't make it out for, you know, lunch on Thursday. Right. And and for me, it's it's been like, again, it's, it's both, right. It's subtle, but it's also feels like a massive shift because how long have I apologized for taking up space in my own life, you know? And, and so actually owning my own time and space by not apologizing. Yeah. And it is literally two, three words that gets taken out of that text message, but it is a massive shift. And the other word that I think I'm examining is just, you know, you know, I'm just trying to reach out and seeing if you want to go get coffee, you know, it, yeah. it, there's like an apology sort of wrapped up in that word just, yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And a, like an excuse, yeah. an excuse me, I'm just going to leave this here. Yeah. Just is a big one. It's good that you're catching that. Yeah. Um, yeah, should another one shooting all over ourselves. Oh, I should have, <laughs> should have gotten not done yoga today. Well, you know, yeah. and like, how do we reframe that? Like, yeah. I'm getting up and doing yoga. I think the strongest is like, I'm getting up and doing yoga every day for 30 days or whatever, you know, just kind of claiming it as it's happening. Yeah. Um, rather like, I'm going to try to do yoga for 30 days. It's like, oh, you're going to try? <laughs> like, yeah. good yeah. luck. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of already insinuating a little bit of doubt. So, Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Yeah. Sorry is a big one. I, I've definitely, that one, one was mirrored back to me hard from my daughter. Yeah. And once she mirrored that to me, I looked to my mom and it's the same thing. It's like this long line of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for taking up space. I'm sorry for speaking my truth I'm, or, or speaking at all. Like yeah. I'm sorry for bumping into you. It's like that one is huge. So yeah. Awesome that you are acknowledging that and and just being unapologetic in the space that you take up and yeah. how you're asserting yourself. Yeah. And yeah. you too. I mean, you're unraveling an ancestral pattern right there, you know? Yeah. And it's Something not easy. It's not <laughs> I, I, was, I was talking to my dad last night and I was saying like that, I was like, I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> because <laughs> I think like the actual like years of the millennials is like, I don't know, 81 to 94 or something. I don't remember the years, but I'm 81. Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I kind of had the, like, I had the, my dad was very like techie. So I know we had the internet before a lot of people. Um, I was on there, like I loved it. But anyways, I was just talking about us being like a bridge generation yeah. because we have had the internet. So we've had access to, you know, not just like a piece of paper encyclopedia, which we did have like these analog tools where we accessed information yeah, and yeah. our teachers, but then we had the internet and we were able to like really start to question and be exposed to so much more. And then when you put it into a question and, and you see, you know, oh, wow, this is super harmful. This is super, that's super inappropriate behavior. Then you can, you know, you, you got to take accountability and you make the changes. Well, 
we're the ones ushering that in and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard work. That's where it's like even I, you know, when you're saying like, what about your client saying like, I wish I had known this. It's like, yeah, I wish there was things that I knew when our daughter, my Marley was, you know, one, two years old. Like I've self-corrected since then. Yeah. I wish I knew that then. Like what, what was I implanting into her subconscious at that time when I didn't know better or, you know, I wasn't aware of these patterns in my communication. It's like, that's, that's, that's a big work, you know, cause yeah. I even the protection piece and knowing like my mom's not doing that work. She's yeah. not aware of how often she's saying sorry yeah. and the impact that has on her, on her grandkids that love her. And, you know, she's just showering them with so much love and, you know, tenderness, but there is like some major disempowering patterns that mm -hmm. she's, I mean, yeah, she's, she's still living. So, yeah. um, I, I, I can't shame her or blame her or really, um, you know, point out where, she, where it's, you know, this, this was gone wrong, or this is where you've really been disappointed. I can't do that, but I can, you know, I take it on myself mm -hmm. to, to break those, those patterns and to, to make the shifts and then embody it. And like, mm -hmm. really that's the, the best piece and the only piece really that will influence um, the people around us is to just like walk, walk the talk. Yeah. Be yeah. the living example of the, the change that you want to see in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think I was just sort of pinged to say this because I've, I've heard this from so many parents as well of, I wish I had known that when, you know, my kid was one or two. And if there is, power in in not apologizing when there's not an apology needed there's also power in apologizing when it is needed you know so like it lands in your child's body when you say you know i'm so sorry i lost my temper yeah you know i'm so sorry i couldn't show up for you in the way that you needed to can we do this differently next time Absolutely. you know and and i think that again, that's the piece where I feel like words are spell work. And this is where we get to, to see that alchemy. We see that transformation in process. Um, you know, directing our attention back to our own energy management and uh, understanding, you know, the power um, of our own choice and how empowered communication can really ground um in this new earth that we're, we're talking about and, and just, yeah, embodying that too. Right. And, yeah, and knowing yeah. that, you know, the, the language that we speak is basically the ocean in which we are all swimming in. So really to do the necessary work of, of looking at how we're communicating and if, if how we're communicating is, um, you know, instigating change and, and, uh, propagating, um, yeah, just more equilibrium and, and, potential and sustainability. So yeah. so yeah, just sharing that, I think that's kind of my little like closing. Um, and that I'm still, you know, it's, this is something that I'm really working on. Yeah. We're all students. Working on it in myself and um, yeah, I, I love writing. So, I mean, part of uh, my intention of maybe, yeah, just trying to kind of write more around the using that language, writing it into being, and hopefully, you know, it's it's felt and received, and yeah. yeah. Well, we're definitely listening, SJ. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing time and space um, with us here, and your words are so appreciated and. Uh, we've hinted at the fact that you are a writer. So I'd love for you to share with the folks out here um, how they can find you so they can actually read your writing. I have a website. It's radianceandritual.com. And right now it's more of a landing page because I did launch a, um, a container uh, that is kind of just a creative exploration for me right now to, to be able to share space um, teaching, embodiment, um, having more like intentional ceremonial spaces through the virtual 
you know, I want to, I want to hold a space where it's really about doing our own inner work and moving intuitively through our lives rather than having like a set program or feeling like that we're not measuring up in some way by missing out on X amount of classes per week. Um, and then there's a manual and that's kind of like where I'm pouring all of my uh, love into really like that's where a lot of my writings are kept that's where there's a lot of reflection that I've had over you know being becoming a mom and my journey as an entrepreneur and my creative process and kind of my rituals so I'm just I'm writing that down and that's a I call it the living manual because it's just it's like an ongoing updated monthly offering so I'm excited about that join if you are seeking like community and sharing and creating um and then yeah i think that the kind of like the content will be up seasonally and then uh maybe next year after one year of doing it i might move it into like more of a course so yeah. amazing yeah well thank you so much and we will see you hopefully very soon i'd love to have you back on at some point great cat thank you so much for having me yay Wrapping up, I just want to send out a few pings of gratitude out there. First of all, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community. And if you would like to support our project, you can find us on patreon.com. I would also like to send some thanks out to Mayan Kites, who creates original music for our podcast, and for Andre Lagasse, who produces these podcast episodes. Thank you.